Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. Before we get into our show, we're hoping you can give us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps people find the show, and thanks to those of you who've already done it. Here's a little incentive to encourage you to do so. You can win a signed copy of my book, John Turner, An Intimate Biography of Canada's 17th Prime Minister. Let us know that you've left a rating or review by sending us a screenshot of it at onpolitics at tvo.org, and you'll be entered into our giveaway. We'll announce the winner at the end of June. Best of luck, everyone. Welcome, everyone, to the On Poly Podcast. I'm Steve Pakin. And I'm John Michael McGrath. Today on the pod, the mayor of Mississauga shakes up the race for Ontario Liberal leader. The multi-billion dollar Stellantis deal still isn't signed, making lots of people in southwestern Ontario very nervous. It's less than a month to go before Toronto picks a new mayor. We'll check in on that. And in your column, my column, I focus on an energy-saving announcement the province made as we get ready for hot summer conditions. And I wrote about, surprise, surprise, a disgraceful reaction on Twitter to a former Premier's birthday. It's Tuesday, May 30th, 2023, so let's get to it. Okay, partner, you know the question I really want to ask you? Uh, Do tell. We can't be the only podcast in the province that's not talking about the vacant general manager's job for the Toronto Maple Leafs. So, knowing what a massive hockey fan you are, I'm just wondering whether you've instructed your agent to put in a good word for you with Brendan Shanahan. Now, this is one of those moments where like, I, I think of that Captain America gif of like him saying, I understood that reference. <laughs> I do actually <laughs> understand what's going on here, and I'm not just it, only partly being made fun of. Uh, but no, I, I think it is best for everyone involved that I uh, really stick to my day job here. <laughs> on that, we agree. Moving right along, let's get to the mailbag. We do enjoy getting your feedback at the email address onpolitics at tvo.org. JMM, what's up this week? Uh, We got quite a few responses to our ask last week if there are any buildings or highways or other pieces of significant infrastructure named after former premiers. And here we go. First, from a listener named Richard, who points us towards Google Maps and the Frank Miller Memorial Route mm-hmm. in Bracebridge. Right. Then, from listener Mika, who says, quote, I thought it would be helpful to let you know that at Trent University, where I'm currently studying Indigenous Studies, we have the Frost Center for Canadian and Indigenous Studies, which is named after former Premier Leslie Frost, who also happened to be the first Chancellor at Trent. All the best, Mika. Very good. Uh, from listener Paul, Thomas Laird Kennedy was elected MPP for Peel in 1919 and served as Ontario's 15th Premier, albeit briefly, between 1948 and 1949. Tom Ken Road in present-day Mississauga is named after Kennedy. No kidding. Never knew that. Nor did I. Uh, Paul continues, incidentally, after Kennedy died in 1959, his former seat in the legislature was filled by a young lawyer named Steve, guess? Uh, Let me think for a second. Have I heard what... um Name's not coming to me. Uh, Help a me guy out named here. Bill Davis. Oh, I've heard of him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I did know that, actually. Yes, indeed. And finally, from listener Adam, there is also, of course, the James Snow Parkway in Mississauga. Snow was a Davis-era Minister of Transportation. And the MPP for Halton, I think, if memory serves. Okay, that's great stuff. We have such knowledgeable listeners. Uh, for the record now, of course, we have to add that one of these things is not like the others, and James Snow Parkway is not named after a former premier, but as Adam does correctly remind us, after a former cabinet minister, and there are 
There are lots of things in Ontario named after former cabinet ministers or MPPs. And just off the top of my head, a few here. The James Noble Allen Skyway Bridge is named after, obviously, James N. Allen, who is a former treasurer back in the day. John M. Turner Highway near Peterborough. That's not the former Prime Minister John Turner. This would be the former Speaker of the Legislature, John Turner. Different John Turner. I play hockey once a week at a place called the Larry Grossman Forest Hill Memorial Arena in Midtown Toronto, and that's named after, obviously, Larry Grossman, a former Davis-era cabinet minister, one-time leader of the PC party, and his father actually held the seat before he did. Uh, The Dennis Timbrell Resource Center is in Don Mills, again, another Davis-era cabinet minister named uh, after that place. The McMurtry Scott Building on Bay Street in downtown Toronto, that's the headquarters for the Ministry of the Attorney General. Roy McMurtry, Ian Scott, two former attorneys general. I'm going to roll. I'm going to keep going here. Nixon Way. No, not Richard. But part of Highway 5 just outside Hamilton is named after three generations of Nixons. Harry Nixon, who was premier in 1943. Bob Nixon, who's his son and who was an MPP from 62 to 91 and a former four-time Ontario Liberal leader and a minister of finance as well, treasurer, as we called it back in the day. And his daughter, Jane Stewart, was the MP for the area as well. And as a matter of fact, I went to see Bob Nixon this past weekend. He's almost 95 years old, and he's in fabulous shape living in Paris, Ontario. And I'll do one more in case I just haven't thoroughly bored you enough. I'm going to do one more. About 45 years ago, I think, one of Bill Davis's cabinets decided at their last meeting before an election to name some small stuff around the province after members of the cabinet. So there are waterfalls or unnamed roads or forests or that kind of thing all over Ontario that are named after members of that Davis cabinet. And one example here, there is in southwestern Ontario near Wallaceburg something called the W. Darcy McHugh Floodway. To prevent flooding in that part of the province, and Darcy McHugh is still with us at age 90. If you can imagine this, he was Bill Davis's Treasurer, Minister of Economics, Intergovernmental Affairs, Municipal Affairs, and Housing, all at the same time. He was the Minister of Everything once upon a time. So, anyways, that's a way too long answer to some of the stuff that's named after Cabinet Ministers and MPPs, and I knew you'd all want to know that. Well, there's one more that just occurred to me uh, while you were speaking. Uh, There is in Toronto, of course, a municipal park named after Doug Ford Sr., the former MPP and father of the current Premier. Uh, One imagines that the current Premier might also get something named after him uh, after some time has passed. You would have to assume so. Although, you know what? We're still waiting on Kathleen Wynne and Dalton McGinty and Ernie Eves. We're still waiting for some stuff for them to be named after. But we may have to keep waiting for a while on that one. If that list isn't long enough for you (laughs) and you have other things in the province named after premiers or MPPs you want us to know about, please email us at onpolitics at tvo.org. Now, on to issue one. It is unusual for the Ontario Liberals to be the biggest story in the province, given that they haven't won enough seats to be an officially constituted party at Queen's Park for two straight elections now. But the race for leader of that party got a major shot in the arm last week when Mississauga's mayor, Bonnie Crombie, announced the creation of an exploratory committee, which is the first step to officially getting in. Mayor Crombie did more than 20 interviews, including with JMM for a column, and with me for the agenda to talk about why she wants in and why the Liberal Party needs to rethink where it is on the political spectrum. So I think I bring a lot to the table in the centre. I think the party is better, best positioned governing from the centre and campaigning from the centre. And that's where I would take it. That's where I'd like to see it. 
I think that's where the natural roots are. And Steve, you asked her a question that I think a lot of liberals have been thinking about over the past uh, half decade or so about the nature of their party. Has it been too left wing and too woke for your tastes? Yes. And you intend to try to do something about that? The Liberal Party moved too far to the left. They were in competition with the NDP. I think we need to bring people back to the centre. Yeah, a lot of Liberals have certainly told me over the past year since the last election that they thought their party had become indistinguishable from the NDP and that they simply had to get back to their activist centre roots. That's clearly where Crombie wants the party to be. In fact, she told both of us something quite interesting about that. Uh, Yes, indeed. Uh, She told me that she thought that the party could even uh, govern from the centre-right. Yeah, I think the Liberal Party moved much too far to the left. I think uh, traditionally our roots are in the centre, and I'm firmly in the centre. I believe we even govern from right of centre. Uh, Her uh, rival for the leadership, Nate Erskine-Smith, immediately jumped on that, uh, said that the party would not be uh, moving to the right under his leadership. I I should say that uh, Crombie also uh, walked that statement back, uh, speaking with reporters later in the week, that uh, she said she was, you know, tired and misspoke. And, and, you know, if she did 25 interviews that day, I think I was like 22. So it had already been a very long day for her. And so, you know, I I grant that she may have, in fact, just been tired and just misspoke. I do think it is also worth saying that some of this debate, and I, and I don't want to be overly cynical here, but you know, some of this is about people who have been on the outside of the party since when won ten years ago. Uh, people, you know, who think of themselves in the center, people to the to the right of the the liberal coalition, uh, they've been out of uh, power within their party, and they want back in. Nothing scandalous about that, but it is, I think, one lens to apply to uh, what we are seeing in because this is, after all, a debate about the future of the liberal party. Exactly. Now, the other big takeaway I heard from my interview with the mayor is where she feels she differs most significantly from the current premier of Ontario. Transparency. Transparency and accountability. There are certain things in the way they were done and all will raise Ontario Place, the Greenbelt, the MZOs. Close relationship with the development community is a big concern, but it could have been less of a concern if there was more transparency around the decisions that were made. Now, I guess given that she's not actually technically in the race yet, we have to wait for genuine specific policy differences on health and education, justice, environment, social services, etc. But transparency, I suppose, is not a bad place to start given how many troubles this government has had on that front. Right. And, you know, she uh, talked about this in that interview, you know, the uh, government's really overly cozy relationship with uh, the development industry generally, some specific developers in particular, the uh, stag and doe party that continues to cause the government uh, so much uh, problems or so many problems, rather, opening up the green belt for development and uh, most recently uh, another uh, fresh uh, ministerial zoning order uh, used in Mississauga this is a power that this government has used quite a bit uh, not one that they gave themselves that one that they did inherit from the uh, liberal government but uh, Steve Clark the minister of municipal affairs um, effectively doubling the allowable density at the Lakeview lands this is a site of a former provincial uh, power station um, a, a coal-fired power 
plant, one that was shut down uh, by the Liberal government. That site was uh, then redeveloped or, or tasked for redevelopment under the Liberals. It was a really important uh, part of Hazel McCallion's uh, story that she really lobbied to make sure that that became a vibrant part of Mississauga's uh, lakefront again. And uh, now uh, the Ford government has uh, effectively doubled the amount of uh, new homes that are going to be allowed to be built there. And Mayor Crombie told me on the day of our interview that she didn't get a heads up on that at all. The province presented it to her that day as a fait accompli. So if you want to talk transparency and consultation, it doesn't sound like there was a lot going on in that case. The mayor and the premier, I think it's also worth saying, have had a decent relationship over the past five years. The premier, after all, did grant Mayor Crombie her most important ask, which was to dissolve Peel Region and let Mississauga go out on its own. But now that they're going to be rivals, well, his tone has definitely changed. My first reaction is, what took you so long? She's been campaigning for five years. My second reaction is, bring it on. That, that's simple as that. You can't be running for mayor or being mayor and running for a leader. Like, you know, you can't put your butt on both sides of the fence. Yes, that is the... Um colloquial way uh, that we have come to know from Premier Ford. As you think about politicians at uh, you know other levels of government over five years that Doug Ford has been Premier, you know, it has probably been Bonnie Crombie that he has taken some of the toughest jabs at. And as we have uh, talked about before, you've now got the prospect of the mayor of Mississauga and the premier of Ontario, whose uh, party has all of the seats in Mississauga, vying to see who can be the champion of those voters. I'm going to take care of the people of Mississauga, and Bonnie's going to be running around the province not worrying about the people of Mississauga. In my opinion, it's a real slap in the face to to the residents there. Now, a little perspective before we go any further here. Let's restate, Bonnie Crombie's not even technically in the race yet. She's exploring whether to go in. She told us, I think both, that she is probably weeks, not months away from making a final decision about whether to get in. If she does get in, she will have plenty of tough competition from Nate Erskine-Smith, the aforementioned, and Ted Shu, both of whom are officially in the race now. Uh, Yasser Nakvi uh, is letting people know that he has, quote-unquote, a significant announcement to make this coming weekend. Can't imagine what that's about. (laughs) And maybe the two MPPs from the two Don Valley ridings, Stephanie Bowman in the West and Adil Shamji in the East, and they have been organizing for many months longer than Crombie. All of them have been. So let's all just take a chill pill before we start selling tickets to a Ford-Crombie cage match in the Octagon, okay? But I think you could, in fact, sell tickets to that. (laughs) Probably could. On to issue two. They need to come up and, and support Stellantis like they did with Volkswagen. And I got to give the federal government uh, kudos. They have been there with us every step of the way on every single deal. They need to continue supporting the people of Windsor, which they promised they were going to do. Premier Doug Ford has been begging the federal government to do whatever it takes to ensure the multi-billion dollar deal with Stellantis doesn't fall apart in southwestern Ontario. Just a reminder, Stellantis wants to make Ram pickup trucks and Chrysler cars in Windsor. What's been causing Stellantis to have second thoughts about all this? Uh, Canada and Ontario signed a deal with Volkswagen for an electric battery plant in St. Thomas. Uh, Both levels of government came up with subsidies, though the the federal government came up with, I would say, substantially more uh, to entice VW to build in Ontario. Something like $13 billion might be the the ultimate uh, spend from uh, the the combined governments to help uh, build the factory and to uh, continue its presence. 
Now, it seems that Stellantis, uh, maybe not unreasonably, frankly, uh, saw what VW got and uh, wants more subsidies for their project in St. Thomas. Right. Now, there's been multiple reports that have accused Stellantis of reneging on the original deal of playing the Canadian and Ontario governments for suckers. Can our governments play a game of chicken here and say... Look, we have an agreement. Get building or else. Uh, That seems unlikely. Stellantis has stopped construction on the site. Uh, They would presumably pay some kind of financial penalty if they simply walked away. But paying the penalty might cost them less than what they could get from another order of government somewhere else uh, in terms of these subsidies. Uh, The 800-pound gorilla in this whole scenario is the U.S. and the Inflation Reduction Act, which is what every government in the Western world really is competing against right now. They got three hundred billion subsidies that they're offering in yeah, that act. Just huge sums. Tough of money. to compete with. Uh, but presumably, what the company really wants is just to have the uh, two governments, Ontario and Canada, sweeten the pie by, you know, another billion, two billion, you know, three billion would be nice if you had it, right? <laughs> um, and then, you know, everyone can sing kumbaya and uh, continue moving forward. Well, that is not the end of it, of course, because not only do our governments have a problem with Stellantis at the moment, but they also apparently have a bit of a problem with each other, too, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. And, you know, obviously, there's been, uh, I would say, a productive relationship between uh, Ontario and Canada on these files. But uh, the feds are looking to Ontario to uh, expand its subsidies. Uh, You know, I did mention the federal government really uh, brought the lion's share of the money to the table in, let's call it the first uh, negotiation. Um, And uh, Ontario, in this case, uh, Minister Vic Fideli, says the feds need to step up and fulfill the agreement they made. You have, of course, a, a very familiar, maybe even classic Canadian approach. Uh, One level of government blaming the other for something going wrong. Uh, Hopefully, they will all figure this out and it will just be a a small, uh, maybe regrettable hiccup on the road. Despite all of that, uh, it does appear uh, in you know the last few days, it does appear that Ontario, Canada, and Stellantis are close to a deal. The Premier sounded a bit more optimistic about uh, getting a deal signed last week. Uh, But I've got to wonder if this experience is causing the province and maybe more importantly, the feds to rethink how many more times they want to go through this. And maybe at a certain point, they just say, like, that's it. We are closing the door to more billion dollar subsidy packages. Hmm. Well, let's do a final observation about this Ontario government's selective dislike of taxpayers subsidizing private business. Do you remember when the Ford government got elected nearly five years ago, what they did with the previous government's contracts with renewable electricity manufacturers or with the EV charging stations that were being built all over the province? (laughs) I do recall, uh, you know, they they tore up uh, renewable energy contracts, uh, literally ripped EV charging stations out of uh, some parking lots near GO stations. But, you know... That was then. This is now. Uh, The Premier and his cabinet have had uh, a change of heart about the electric vehicle business, and uh, they are now all in on it, Uh, even when we're being... I don't know, is shaken down, too strong a word, by uh, large uh, multinational auto companies. And now, on to issue three. Last Thursday night at Victoria University at U of T, the six top polling candidates for Toronto mayor gathered for a TVO Toronto Region Board of Trade debate. I had the honor of moderating that debate among these six. Olivia Chow, Anna Bailao, Josh Matlow, Mitzi Hunter, Mark Saunders, and Brad Bradford. Now, just by way of explanation here, the Board of Trade commissioned four polls, four polls. The six candidates with the highest average score over those four polls 
they got invited to participate in that debate last week. Interestingly enough, the polls have barely moved at all since the campaign got underway. They do show former MP and city councillor Olivia Chow with a double-digit lead over her closest competitor, who in most polls is the former chief of police, Mark Saunders. Then comes Josh Matlow, city councillor today, and then the rest of them are sort of bunched up after that. So let's do a little post-debate post-mortem here. Did you see the debate? I have to confess something, Steve. I didn't watch it live. Uh, Thursday was pretty nuts for me, and I, uh, I actually fell asleep on the couch earlier than I care to admit. I, you know uh, what? I, I'm glad to hear you say you didn't fall asleep because you were watching the debate. That no, was good. No, just 42 <laughs> and tired. Um, uh, I did watch it after the fact, and I have to say uh, I may be the weirdo here, but despite the, the weaknesses of the moderator, uh, I thought it was a good debate. Uh, I, I I think any viewer would come away from it with a decent understanding of where the respective candidates stand on the issues. And it didn't seem to get too bogged down in, can I call it fluff? <laughs> you know, serious issues taken seriously is about the best we can hope for. You know what? I had, you know, because when you moderate these things, as I'm sure you have in the past, people come up to you afterwards and they say, you know, who won? Who do you think won? And it's very hard to tell when you're actually doing it who you thought won, unless there's an obvious knockout punch and there wasn't in this debate. But I came away with it thinking the same thing you did, which was that they all had their moments where they demonstrated uh, some sophistication and some intelligence and some ability to to do the job at the center of all this. They all had their moments where I thought they were a little misbehaved at some time. But um, but in the main, you're in a televised yeah, debate. Can you My imagine? <laughs> can you imagine? You're shocked, shocked to hear gambling's going on in here. But but in the main, yeah, I agree. I thought a, a pretty decent display. Now, in your eyes, did anybody either significantly help or hurt their chances because of what happened in that debate? I've said before on this podcast that I've, I've basically stopped pretending that I know how any of these events play out for the median voter because I, I really can't turn off the part of my brain that's been watching some of these people for years and in some cases more than a decade. So take that as a big caveat. That said, I, I didn't come away super impressed with Mark Saunders' performance. Uh, you know, he is uh, running second in most polls, but... He's lagging pretty far behind Olivia Chow, and he's, he's, you know, in the teens in most of these polls. So when you're that far behind as far as the polling goes, I I think you've got to figure out how to reach new people, and I don't think he did that. I I don't think he did any actual harm to his campaign, but I had a hard time imagining someone being convinced by him on the debate stage. Well, one thing we do have to remember is we're now a little under a month to go until voting day. And that is about the length of a typical provincial election campaign. So I suspect only now are some voters going to start to pay attention. And it may be another two or three weeks before another chunk of voters starts to pay any attention at all. Now, this is basically my way of saying I'm not making any assumptions about how baked in the polling results are so far because the electorate has been remarkably disengaged to my eyes so far. I can tell you that on the way down to the event at Victoria University, uh, I was talking with um, uh, the guy who was driving uh, Uber, took me down there in an Uber, and I asked him about the mayor's debate, and he said, the only candidate I've heard of is Chow. Never even heard of any of the other ones, and I'm not voting anyway. And I'm hearing that everywhere. I'm bumping into people all the time who say, not following it, not interested, not voting. Then they've got, I guess, less than a month to change their minds on that if they want to. You know, I would also add that, uh, you know, it's it's possible 
that nothing really changes. <laughs> and, and I say that only because last year we had a provincial election where, you know, myself and I think a lot of people assumed that, you know, at some point in the campaign, that even split between the Liberals and the NDP would change and the the anti Ford anti-Tory vote would coalesce behind one of the parties, and it just never happened. Never did. Nope. Um, and and like the polling never really changed. And so I'm not saying that it, that is what is going to happen over the next few weeks, but uh, I was frankly so surprised that it didn't happen last year. I'm sort of keeping an open mind this time, and you know we could just see these same polling numbers more or less continue right to election day. Time now for our regular feature, Your Column, My Column, in which John Michael and I talk about something we wrote for the TVO website last week. JMM, you wrote about an announcement that the energy minister, Todd Smith, made regarding saving electricity use on those very hot summer days. Give us the 411 on that. The defining thing about electricity is we want it to be more or less instantaneous. It has to turn on when we hit the light switch. But when everyone turns the light on at once, or more importantly, when everyone turns the air conditioning on at once, it causes electricity demand to spike in ways that our grid struggles to meet. So the government wants to pay people a modest incentive to turn their ACs down on the hottest days of the summer so that the cumulative impact will hopefully reduce the demand to turn on all of those natural gas plants. Makes perfect sense. Now, I watched the news conference and you put a bunch of very good questions to the minister. Uh, One in particular, when you asked about the fact that a program like this used to exist, then it was canceled, and now it's back. Did you get to the bottom of why the previous government's program was canceled and why this government has chosen to bring it back? Uh, basically, the Liberals implemented and then eventually canceled a program that uh, its final iteration was called Peak Saver Plus. Uh, and they were receiving, you may recall, a lot of criticism over electricity prices in this province. Part of the problem for uh, Peak Saver Plus was that it was paid for by uh, charges on electricity. The argument against this is that it's a, you know, it's a conservation program, but we were paying people to conserve hydro when we had large electricity surpluses. Those surpluses are now all but gone thanks to population growth and uh, manufacturing employment growing. So the Tories have basically brought back that same basic function, even though they, of course, were some of the harshest critics of the Liberals when they were in the opposition benches. Funny how where you stand depends on where you sit. Uh, In the House as much as anywhere else, yes. (laughs) Right on. All right, Steve. uh, Your column this week focused on, uh, shock of all shocks, uh, bad behavior by too many people on Twitter. Uh, What was that about this time? I really found this story very upsetting. Um, I put a simple tweet out there. Kathleen Wynne, the former Premier of Ontario, turned 70 last weekend. A milestone birthday. Indeed. uh, For anybody. Uh, And, you know, I have this sort of uh, strange fascination with former First Ministers of this province. And so I simply tweeted... Kathleen Wynne, 70th birthday, that's it. I didn't even say happy birthday. I just noted that it was her birthday. Now, there were, in fairness, a bunch of comments underneath that saying, oh, happy birthday, Premier, congratulations, Premier, yada, yada, yada. However, there was also an orgy of disgraceful, pathetic, over-the-top, rude behavior. Some people said worst premier ever. There were homophobic references. There was who gives an F you dot, dot, dot. Someone actually tweeted, John Michael, someone actually tweeted, good, you're a year closer to being dead. Now, 
people, that's just not acceptable. I don't care how bad a premier you thought she was. And like every premier, she had her hits, she had her misses. People in a civilized society don't wish death upon duly elected public servants in a democracy. We just don't do that. So if you can't wish someone a happy birthday, maybe just don't tweet anything. Anybody ever tried that idea? Let's just be more civil about all this, okay? You know, we discussed this a lot uh, during the last federal election when, of course, there was some uh, nastiness and some threats made against Justin Trudeau. And one of the things I said back then is, you know, uh, politics is important. People are supposed to disagree and they should disagree uh, sharply because these decisions matter. But, you know, uh, we are rivals and not enemies in politics. And uh, I really would just encourage everybody to uh, maybe think about that. And, uh, yeah, we all... We all got to live here. (laughs) (laughs) And I'll make the point that that I'm sure next year when I put a tweet up saying happy 60th birthday, I won't even say happy. I will just say Ontario's current premier, Doug Ford, is 60 today because it will be his 60th birthday next year. And I'm sure there will be a torrent of abusive comments about Doug Ford as well. And those aren't acceptable either. Now, I think it's also worth pointing out that that being an openly gay former premier and being a woman – means that Kathleen Wynne is taking a a quality and quantity of abuse on social media that, you know, white 59-year-old men, as a general rule, don't have to take. But why don't we just take a chill pill on all of this, eh? Like, everybody, if you don't have something... Remember that advice your parents gave you? If you don't have something nice to say, just don't say it at all. Why don't we follow that advice for a little while? Okay, that is the On Poly podcast for Tuesday, May 30th, 2023. Please remember to check out our newsletters. You can subscribe at tvo.org slash newsletters. This week, JMM and I riff on about the shakeup to the liberal leadership race with the potential entry of Mississauga Mayor Bonnie Crombie. And be sure to join Steve and me this Tuesday, May 30th at 6.30 p.m. for a Twitter Spaces discussion around the major challenges facing the GTA's transit system. We've got a bunch of experts lined up to hash that out. You know, massively delayed projects, record-breaking investments, cost overruns, ridership decline, rising violence, and all this in the midst of yet another Toronto mayoral election. Is the system broken? What's to be done? Find out on The Agenda's Twitter page, that's at The Agenda, at 6.30 uh, today on Tuesday, May 30th. And I can promise you one thing. It will be a better Twitter Spaces discussion than the one launched last week between Governor Ron DeSantis and Elon Musk. I can promise you that. Also, make sure to follow our show on Apple Podcasts so that you get notified each time a new episode is available. And if you already follow our program, help a fellow friend follow the show as well. Any feedback you've got, we're happy to hear it, good, bad, or indifferent. Write us at onpolitics at tvo.org. Here's one we got from a listener named Sebastian who writes, I love your podcast and listen to it regularly. I keep telling all of my fellow political geek friends to ensure they listen too. Thanks for everything you do, and please keep up the great work. Sebastian also sent us a screenshot of his review, so he has been entered into our podcast book giveaway. Make sure you do that, too. Send us a screenshot of your rating or review to onpoliticsattvo.org, and we will enter you in the draw for a copy of my book on Canada's 17th Prime Minister, John Turner. This week's episode was produced and edited by Matthew O'Mara. Our managing editor is Shayer Tajvidi. Production support from Carla Lucetta and Jonathan Hallowell. Until next Tuesday, everybody, bye-bye. See you next week. Bye.